0: Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Well, good morning. He is risen fantastic. If you are uh, visiting with us, whether you're a family member or checking us out for the first time, maybe you've not heard that before. You'll see it on our on our wall behind us, He is risen. And the Christian traditional response is He is risen indeed. And responding that way unites us with all other believers around the world who are celebrating our risen Lord this morning. And so that's what we are doing. If you are visiting and if you are new, uh, we do have these contact cards. If you'd like more information or get to know us, uh, you can fill out the back the card and turn it in back there. We have a welcome gift for you. Or we have a QR code. If you're one of those people like me who would rather fill out on your phone, you can scan the QR code, uh, check the box saying you did the QR code so you can still get your welcome gift. Uh, We don't want to deny that to you if you do the QR code. Uh, We'd love to have you do that. He is risen. risen Let's stand and worship this morning. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, I am Bruce Struxma. I'm the senior pastor here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church. And let's say it again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Well, fantastic. Whether you are uh, visiting us for the first time or this is your regular church home, we are glad you are here. And I would like to just, as a throwout, say thank you to the youth uh, for breakfast this morning, all the hands that made the breakfast and served it. Absolutely. Um, and thank you for your uh, support of our youth as they look forward to challenge coming up uh, next summer and the opportunity they have to go to go there. So uh, we've been going through uh, through the Easter season a series that we've titled Follow Through, and we've talked about the importance of follow through. You know, in golf, in 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 baseball, in pheasant hunting and whatever activity that requires motion, there generally is a follow-through. We're also going to talk a little bit this morning about follow-through as a response. Follow-through meaning that we do something and there's generally a response. And one of the things that we did this spring here at the church is March Madness Tournament, which I talked about very little because I got last place. Um, Very quickly, I moved to last place and didn't care anymore about the tournament. But as a follow-through follow-up, I do need to bring Dennis up here and give him for winning. Where's Dennis? Where'd he go? Oh, there he is. Oh, there you go. Okay, hiding in the back. Congratulations on winning the March Madness tournament. There's my (laughs) follow-through. So I, I may have purchased that hoping that I'd be able to use it. And then I ended up, I really didn't get last place. I want to be really clear. There's a couple of people that didn't fill out a bracket and I did beat them. Um, so so there we go. But follow through. Um, but follow through is a basic response. There's this step, this natural step we take. You know, you're going to leave here this morning and the natural step is to go home for Easter lunch. You know, you're having family over. The natural step is to to follow through. What's our next thing? What are we, what are we doing after here? And, and we're going to be looking at the resurrection story this morning, uh, and I would encourage you to note that there are resurrection stories all throughout the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell stories of this resurrection, and while we'll be focusing primarily on John 20 this morning, I would encourage you, if you have time this week, to read the other accounts. And to read them in the same way that we would if the New York Times and CBS and the BBC and NPR all reported on the same event. There'd be a little bit of a different take on it because they have a little bit different audience or a little different way of communicating. And and there's a little bit of that going on in the Gospels and so it's, it's helpful to read them all. And so there's going to be moments where we're going to jump around and look at these other ones, but we're going to mostly be in John 20. If you're curious about the others and you don't want to write them down off the screen, in the back we do have these study guides and they're, they're listed off the top, so you can grab one of those uh, to, to do that. But we're going to be looking at these, these resurrection stories. What did the people who were there experience and what was their follow-through? How did they respond to this resurrection experience? because intrinsic to any story is is the human response, right? Um, last night, I'm a big fan of, of gopher hockey, and last night I had an intrinsic response to how the game ended, which is poorly. And we have an intrinsic response when our team wins and when they lose, when a family member is hurt by somebody else or a friend, we respond in anger. When uh, we watch a good comedy, we laugh. There's a natural response. And so we're gonna look at these responses and how the people respond to the resurrection. And so, like I said, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. In a moment, we're going to read it first. I'm going to ask if you're able, as you're able, to stand as we read through God's Word this morning. So would you stand as I read John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, "'Woman, why are you crying?' They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had, seen, that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Here ends the reading of God's word and you may be seated. So we're going to move through this story and I want us to look at these different responses and I want you to put yourself in their sandals, put yourself in their shoes. Imagine what it would have been like. You've had this tumultuous experience. You've had this gut-wrenching loss and you're approaching the tomb. Put yourself in their shoes. And, and as we do, we need to look at it with the lens of understanding that we respond the same way. There are going to be times where we respond to a moment with, with an encounter with God, and we're going to respond the same way often that they do. And so from our scripture reading this morning, the first response we see is Mary. And Mary's first response is, help me understand. And her story kind of gets broken up into two parts, and so I'm going to kind of connect them, and then we'll come back and look at the disciples in the middle. But in verses 1 and 2, we see Mary Magdalene approach the tomb. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, Mary Magdalene is is a woman who, in Scripture, uh, it's sometimes hard to separate the myth from the reality. You know, especially, you know, several years ago, some books came out like the Da Vinci Code that painted a picture of Mary as as more than than scripture says she was. And, And sometimes that can confuse us, but her resume is impressive by itself. We know from Luke chapter eight that she had been traveling with Jesus for a long time and that Jesus had cast some demons out of her and that she had been financially helping with Jesus' ministry we also know from our passage this morning that she was one of the first people to arrive at the tomb on Easter morning. So she has an impressive resume, and so we know that she is a committed follower of Jesus, and yet her response is confusion. Help me understand. Because what she is doing in that moment is not a normal operation. Back in that time, um, you know, this is pre uh, modern techniques of, of dealing with a dead body, embalming, and that kind of stuff. Now, we can wait days and even weeks before, from when somebody has died before we have the funeral. Back then, that really wasn't an option. And, and so kind of the goal was as soon as somebody died, you took, you took their body and you wrapped it with spices and you stuck it in the, in the tomb or in the ground to decompose so that it wouldn't smell as bad. But that was a quick Turnaround. Because decomposition, sorry, this is kind of gross for a Sunday morning, but it happens rapidly. It's a quick process. But given the fact that Jesus had died the night before the Sabbath uh, during the Passover and by crucifixion, which is a shameful way to die, all of that kind of conspired for it to be something that they were just dealing with it quickly. Getting them in the ground as quick as they could, putting him in the tomb. And so for these these women, and some of the gospel accounts uh, list more than just Mary, but in, in all of them, it's a group of women, are showing up as an act of over-the-top love to bring these spices to prepare Jesus' body for burial after he's been in the tomb. This is outside of the norm for their behavior. And so I'm gonna, you know, so that's what they're doing. They're showing up, and we're gonna skip over, like I said, the disciples, because they respond, you know, they The women see the tomb is empty and they go and get the disciples. But then we're back with Mary in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And so we can have some sympathy for Mary She's gone through a tumultuous experience and now she's going into an uncomfortable situation and she receives unusual information. It's overwhelming. It's an overwhelming experience. But look at her response. Help me understand. Help me understand what is going on here. How often do we, when we get in those similar situations where we have a a, a tumultuous experience and then we get conflicting information and then we get stuff that doesn't make sense and our response is not, help me understand. God, what are you doing here? Our response is, well, that's not right. That's not fair. And we respond in anger and in frustration. And Mary's response is, help me understand. They have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. And she is so overwhelmed in this moment that she turns and sees Jesus and doesn't even recognize him. And so note that Mary has an emotional response. Emotion is something God created. Now, we shouldn't let it control us, but we should be okay acknowledging the emotion. Mary is emotional here. Allow yourself to emotionally respond to God. But Mary weeps as she seeks to understand. Where do we not understand what God is doing? Where do we need to seek understanding? And so now let's go back to those disciples. We're gonna jump back again to verses three through 10 and see the disciples' first response. He saw and believed. Back before Mary encounters the angels, she runs and gets the disciples. And I love the little details that we see in the story. First of all, we see it's John and it's Peter. And we know it's John because he refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved, which is what John does all the way through the book of John. He refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved, which is not an arrogant saying. And, and as a side note, that's a, that's a claim we should all take. We are the disciples whom Jesus loved. The same author who calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved is the one who wrote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So we see this beloved disciple and this other beloved disciple, but we see John run to the tomb. And I love the detail that he gets there first, which for the record, if I beat somebody in a foot race and was writing a gospel narrative, I would include that detail. I would want it known (laughs) for all of eternity that I beat him there. The reality is he probably beat them there just because he was younger. I mean, that's just the reality. Peter is an older fisherman, uh, used to being in a boat, probably not as in shape as somebody like John, who is younger, but also a fisherman. So who knows? But he gets there first. I love that detail. Um, But he gets there first. And then he waits, again, probably in deference for the older man. He waits in deference for Peter to enter the tomb. And they have been living in fear and discouragement since Friday night. Friday night Peter denied Jesus. Friday night, the disciples, including John, scattered as Jesus hung on the cross. Now we know John was there at the foot, but we also know that they were scattered. They were in fear. But then we see a a ray of hope open up for John and Peter. And we see maybe one of the most powerful statements in the passage. He saw and believed, but they still did not understand. And, and look at that. Like, I love that there's still space there for not understanding. They saw and believed, but they did not fully understand. And I think there's a great lesson for us there. Where are the spots where we need to see and believe, even though we don't have all the information? And we do it all the time in other areas of our life. You know, you're, you're, you're sitting downstairs at your house, or you're sitting, you know, in your bedroom, and, and you know it's been raining, and, and then you hear the sirens go off. All right? And you know it's been raining and you know the sirens are going off, and you deduct from that little bit of information that therefore I should get to safety. Sometimes some foolish people go running outside to verify, but. Wise people trust. They have sufficient data to make a decision, but they don't have all the information. You might not understand where the storm is coming from. You may have heard conflicting information earlier where they said, you know, bad storms but probably not a tornado. And now you're getting different information and you believe. And we do it all the time. And so as people of faith, we need to be the same way. Sometimes God isn't gonna give us all the information we would like to have. I would like to have all the information, God, before I move. I feel like you're calling me to go this way, but I want more information before I move. And I think oftentimes God gives us enough. But it's also a progressive experience. Look at John's progression in steps. And we don't pick it up as much in the English, but in the original language, there's three different words being used in verses five, six, and eight for how he looked. There's three different words being used. First in verse five, it's translated as look. He looked in the tomb. And it's this idea of a quick glance. I'm looking in. What am I seeing? I'm observing briefly. But then in verse 6, we see Peter go in and we see a deeper look. The word there used for look expands to a careful observation of the details. I'm looking deeper. I'm seeing the fabric that it's, that it's, it's, it's laying there, but the headpiece is separate. It doesn't look like somebody came in and ransacked the space. There's an observation, I'm looking around, trying to figure it out. And then finally, in verse 8, a seeing he comprehends. There's a seeing that moves beyond, okay, based on what information I have, I move to comprehension. And I challenge us that as people of faith, where are the spots where God is calling us to step into belief, even though we don't have all the information? And I don't mean that to say that we, we can't investigate. They investigated our faith stands up to reason, we should be able to reason. So where are the spots where we need to investigate, but where are we holding an unfair standard for God? God, you want me to believe in you, you need to do it to my level, not yours. Where is that unfair standard? Where does it stand up to reason, but we are still holding back, because we go, God, that's not what I want. That's not my perspective. They saw and believed, even though they did not fully understand. So we continue to be inquisitive as people of faith. John glanced, they looked deeper, and then they sought understanding. Allow that for yourself in faith. And then we're gonna go back to Mary again and see her second response. Mary's second response, she is excited to share. And I I love Bethany's story here, which by the way, Bethany, if you need some level of therapy from, from that experience, we can talk. I know some people who would love to help you with that. That would be a traumatic, but I love that response. That response of, of excited. I, you know, my parents were excited when they found me and I was just excited that they knew I was missing. That moving quickly to excited to share. The disciples leave the tomb. They're pondering, but Mary stays. And we see she is crying and she is sad, surely, but she's also still in this trying to understand, trying to comprehend. And then she sees Jesus, but thinking he is the, the gardener. And John tells us that we do not miss this detail. He tells us it's Jesus. She doesn't know it, but we do. And it is significant that the first person to see the risen Savior is Mary. Mary, a woman with a checkered past, a woman who had been demon-possessed. In the first century, women were not considered legitimate witnesses in a court of law. In the first century, women were not trusted. As one rabbi of the times had said, it is better that the words of the law be burned than to be delivered to a woman. That was their perspective, that was their view but this woman carried something greater than the law that that rabbi abused. This woman, and we look in Mark 16, we'll see two other women with Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus and Salome, and, and, and that's not a disagreement. Again, think an, a, a news story. One person interviews one person, another person interviews three. The fact that one says one is there and one says three doesn't mean they disagree. That's just how they're sharing the story for their audience. So whether it was just Mary or Mary, Mary and Salome or, or whatever, the one thing they're unanimous on is the first group of people to see the risen Savior is women. These women carried the greatest news ever, that Jesus was risen And so we are all called to carry that news forward. She is excited to share. She's excited to carry that information. And so whatever reason, we feel like we don't qualify to share about who Jesus is. I'm not good enough. I have a checkered past. I'm not a pastor. I don't have the right training. Whatever it is, we need to set that aside and realize that like Mary, we carry with us an incredible story and we should share it. We are called to bear witness to the Lord. No matter the societal rules on us, we are legitimate in the eyes of Jesus Christ. All of us, as forgiven people, we are legitimate. So where do we need to set aside our fear and our shame and these things that make us feel like we are not worthy of the love of God? Where are the spots where we are like Mary, where society might look at us and say, yeah, but not you. You're not smart enough, you're not good looking enough, you're not strong enough, you're not powerful enough. And do we need to set that aside and say, I am enough because Jesus says I am. And therefore, I am his beloved disciple. And therefore, I can take this message. And this realization, this movement for Mary, just like it will for the disciples, takes some time. They don't respond instantaneously. I think sometimes we, we expect that our, our encounters with Jesus should be instantaneous. And, but look at the time markers through this story. You know, it's, it's, it's morning, and then Peter and, and John go to the tomb, and then they leave. And the next time we see him, it's the next evening. It's later on in the day. They've spent all day pondering this information. Mary will get this information, go and tell the disciples, then come back to the tomb and still be sad. Giving ourselves space to make these progressive steps towards Christ. You know, uh, we, we, we have these encounters with Jesus and sometimes God does things instantaneously and that's great, but there are times where it takes time. And allowing for time for ourselves and allowing for time for others who are following Jesus to make the steps in his timing is significant. And we're going to go back to the disciples and see their second response, joy and relief. But it's evening. It's now Sunday night. They saw the tomb right away in the morning at first light. It's now evening. And what are they doing? They're locked in a room for fear. They saw the empty tomb, and they still went back to a room, locked the doors, and hunkered down, unsure of what this meant. They saw and believed and still went and locked the door. There are going to be times where we need a little more time. And God is gracious with them and with us. He gives them some time. Because their fear is not irrational. I mean, the, the, the Jews at that time were trying to shut down this troublesome sect as they saw it. They saw this as an uprising, usurping their power, usurping their religion, usurping their position. And they were trying to shut it down. And we see that as we look at Matthew's account. In Matthew 27, verse 64, after Jesus died and they take his body down, they put him in the tomb. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure. This is the Pharisees talking to the Roman powers. Hey, we remember that he said in three days he was gonna rise again. So we wanna verify, to squash this sect. We wanna shut it down. And we want to make sure that that doesn't happen. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. And then when they're guarding and the angels show up and the stone gets rolled away and the guards pass out and Jesus disappears, we're going to see them take another step to cover their tracks. Which isn't uncommon because back then, if you were a guard in charge of a prisoner and that prisoner got away, it was your life for his life. And a dead body shouldn't be something hard to guard. And so if you're a Roman soldier who's been tasked with guarding a sealed tomb with a dead body in it and you lose the body, I can imagine the penalty would have been severe. But look at what they do. The Pharisees see this and they go... In Matthew 28, we read how they respond. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Which, by the way, admitting to being asleep on guard duty is a risky move. And the the Pharisees and the chief priests, they know that, and that's why they respond next. If this report gets to the governor, your boss, the one who will kill you for losing a dead body, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. They are seeing the same information as the disciples. They see the tomb is empty. They see the clothes there and they are looking for a way to blame and explain it away. To cover their tracks, to protect their position. They remembered Jesus' promise to rise again and sought to prevent the story from spreading. Why? Why do they wanna prevent that story from spreading? Because theologically, Christ's resurrection cannot be separated from his crucifixion. For what the crucifixion accomplished is sealed and accepted by God's raising Jesus from the dead. They are intrinsically tied together. You can't have the, uh, Jesus be the all-sufficient sacrifice and savior for our sins if he doesn't both die and raise again. This is where Easter and Good Friday are the most pivotal points in, in the Christian calendar because of this. This is what we're celebrating this morning. They are tied together. And so Jesus shows up. So these these disciples are hiding because they're afraid of what could happen to them. They're trying to squash this story and we're not sure what's going on. We, We don't know exactly what Jesus meant. We still don't understand, so we're hiding. And Jesus shows up. He shows up in the midst and he says, hey guys, I'm here. Look at my hands, look at my side. And this message spurs them on. We'll see the disciples in the next few chapters in whatever gospel account you read, whether you go from Luke to Acts or whether you read the rest of John, you'll see these disciples go from being a fearful, timid group of guys hunkering in a room to boldly speaking and preaching. And what's the change? What's the message? We see it. Jesus' message to them, forgiveness. This is why he came to forgive them and to forgive others. Jesus came to take the penalty for our sins on himself and die in our place. He came with a message of forgiveness, and that forgiveness message creates boldness. They move from fear and trembling to joy and relief and boldness because they are forgiven. So where do you need to live out that forgiveness in your own life? Where's the spot where maybe you haven't given your, yourself over to Jesus saying, I need that forgiveness and you need to, to experience that real joy and relief. Where's the spot where maybe you've, you've, you've given it to Jesus, but you haven't really forgiven yourself. You're still living in that shame. You're still really living in that embarrassment. You're still thinking, God, I'm not worthy. Or maybe where's that spot where you're withholding forgiveness from somebody else? Because he says that too to forgive others just as we have been forgiven. Where is the spot where maybe you need to turn to somebody and say, you have hurt me deeply, but I can't live in fear anymore. I can't live locked down anymore. I need to move out of the upper room. I need to live out forgiveness. See the response of joy and relief and boldness from forgiveness. And finally, we're gonna look at the final response from our Easter story, the response of Thomas. Thomas the doubter. Thomas the doubter who moves to repentance. So Thomas missed that experience. The, The story tells us he wasn't there in the upper room. He didn't get a chance to see physically Jesus, but he heard the disciples, and by that time they had more information. And they share a little bit with Thomas. Not a little bit, they share a lot. We saw Jesus and we saw his name. And this is what he said. And remember how he said he had to be raised from the dead. And Thomas was great. And he goes, unless I see it with my own eyes, I will not believe. But again, look at the timeline. A week later. A week later, Thomas encounters Jesus. And before we are too harsh on Thomas, remember that we oftentimes respond the same way of holding up our standards of truth. God, I will believe if you meet my standard, not yours. Where are the spots where we, like Thomas, are saying, unless I see the nail holes, I'm not gonna believe. And praise God, not everybody has responded like Thomas because if everybody demanded physically seeing Jesus, none of us would be here. All of us who believe in Jesus in this room came to faith because somebody told us. Somebody told us, who was told by somebody, who was told by somebody, who was told by somebody, on and on and on until you finally get back to Jesus. And what this story is telling us is that those experiences, those encounters with Jesus are not less legitimate than the disciples who saw Jesus. We see and hear that the response to Jesus of repentance coming from the story of hearing it from other people is just as valid as the disciples' story who encountered Jesus. Jesus. We are all called to be forgivers and we are all called to be forgiven. But that starts with us repenting like Thomas. Look at how he responds when Jesus finally shows up. My Lord and my God. Instantly he knows and he knows he was wrong and he repents. So where do we need to repent? Where do we need to participate in the resurrection of Easter? by acknowledging that we have denied, like Thomas, that we need to come to God in repentance and say, God, there are parts of my life, and maybe it's my whole life that I'm withholding from you because I don't believe because you haven't met my standard. Where are those spots where our call from our response this morning to Easter is to respond in repentance, where we need to step out and say, God, as somebody who needs you as my savior, I confess that I have not responded fully like I should. I have doubted like Thomas. I have, I have not sought to understand like Mary. I have not responded in joy like the disciples. I have not sought to understand. I've not lived as a forgiven person. Where are those spots? As we leave this morning, as we respond to Easter, which response do you need to take today? Where is the spot where you need to call out to God and say, God, I want to respond to Easter this morning for the first time or for the 50th time? Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this Easter message. God, the message that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, that we cannot do it on our own. So, Lord, we need to respond. So God, help us to respond to you, God, by, by putting our trust in you for the first time or by finally giving over that thing that we've been holding on to, our inadequacy or our fear. God, where, where do we need to respond to you, Lord? I pray that you would call that out in us. And God, that this morning we would respond to you. And we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. So just a quick announcement uh, before we leave this morning. Just a reminder that next week we'll have the Teen Challenge Choir here. I would love to have you all come back and hear them and their stories of how God is at work through Teen Challenge. Uh, You heard the song, The Blessing, and that is taken from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. So I'm just gonna read that as we end this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.